Welcome to the North Score podcast. I am Michael Rand, Chris Hine, Star Tribune here as well. We've got a bunch of things to get to, even though it's end of May, early June, depending on when you're listening to this. We are recording on the last day of May. Um, It's not 100 degrees today. It was a few days ago. Um, Chris, you've seen all the extremes. Here you so know, far. I don't think there are any uh, weather. There's no middle ground here. It doesn't it, seem that it, way, does it? It's, it's six weeks ago, there was 16 inches of snow right. on the ground, and yeah. now it's 100 degrees. We had like a, a week in May where it was really nice. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> I, hope, I hope really I hope you that. enjoyed that. Yes. <laughs> um, but yes, we still tease uh, Chris because he's fairly new to Minneapolis, even though he's not new to the uh, Midwest, uh, from coming from Chicago mm-hmm. most recently. Uh, but obviously he is our... Uh, lead sports analytics data writer, um, a subset of articles we call North Score here and a podcast of the same name. We wanted to get to, right off the bat, um, Wild introduced Paul Fenton as their new general manager last week. And Chris and I were both at the news conference. Which uh, seems like a while ago. It seems, I mean, yeah. we were just talking. It feels like it was like at least... You know, at least two weeks ago. I know, but it was really just a week ago. It was really just a week ago, or like nine, ten days ago, yeah. which does not seem possible. It was, mm-hmm. uh, it, w- it was the kind of, it was not one of those news conferences that knocked you off your, uh, didn't knock your socks off. It was kind of like, like you said, an as expected yeah. kind of news conference. I, I don't, I don't think general managers move the needle quite as much as you know, head coaches coach or player board. signings right. or something like that. They're not as they probably shouldn't be as as charismatic. They need to be more <laughs> thinking, more more yes. kind of uh, you know, people who are doing more of the behind the scenes work. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. Fenton comes from Nashville, where he was an assistant GM for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, almost, player development director before that. Yeah, mm-hmm. almost kind of the uh, the Mike Zimmer profile, where he was an assistant forever, and you kind of wondered is he ever going to get a mm-hmm. chance in the big chair, the Wild. Um, does does make him the the GM replacing Chuck Fletcher after nine years, has some familiarity with uh, with Craig Leopold. They both knew each other from the time in Nashville. Um, Chris, there's some interesting stuff though that came from the news conference, and specifically some interesting stuff in Fenton's background with Nashville. And you wrote about it um, after after the news conference. Mm-hmm. Um, what? I guess the biggest question probably on Wild fans' minds right now is, you know, if we've been thinking about this team in a certain way for a while now with a lot of the same players, what what might Fenton be able to do differently and what in his background suggests the kinds of things he might look to do with the Wild now that he's first in charge? So, so I think sitting in on that news conference last week, it, it was kind of ironic to me that the – the word we kept hearing, the word of the day was tweak. Tweak, yeah. Tweaks. Tweak the process. We're going to make, make tweaks to we the roster. We don't trust the process. We tweak the process. <laughs> so I, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, the Nashville Predators the last few years, they have been traditionally a good team that, you know, couldn't quite get over the hump for a while there. Right. And, and, you know, all the way through about 2015, they were, they would make the playoffs. They would, right. they, I think they, you know, once or twice would win a round, but then they never got past the second round. They right. never could get to the conference finals or to the Stanley Cup final. So in a way, they were in, almost in a similar position to what the Wild have been. Yeah, And it didn't take tweaks to get them to the next level. It took a little more 
than just simple tweaks to that roster. And they made two of the, the boldest trades in hockey the last three years. And they traded a promising young defenseman in Seth Jones uh, to the Blue Jackets for Ryan Johansson. And then and possibly the most shocking tr- trade of the last five years in the NHL when they sent Shea Weber right. to the Canadians for P.K. Subban. Those are not tweaks to the roster. No. Those are significant, significant moves. Right. Um, but moves that made sense from a hockey standpoint, from contract standpoints, from standpoints of need. Um, so, so I hear tweaks, and I'm thinking to myself, Fenton's background does not lend itself to just tweaking right. the roster. So, I if I'm a Wild fan, I'm expecting Fenton. It's not going to be a teardown. Like, no, and uh, I don't think that that's coming. Well, but Le- Leopold wouldn't really allow that. Wouldn't, he wouldn't allow it. He's he's too invested in keeping. 18 keeping pl- things 18,500 fans yes, and staying in the playoffs. They were, they were, that's why they were very clear with their messaging, I think, was yes. we're going to keep, you know, we need to make changes, but we don't need to make we're not we're not starting over. I th- so I think tweak was the wrong word to use. I think just changes. Yeah. But making clear that it's not a rebuild. Right. Um, because you you have significant as we've discussed before, mm-hmm. there are pieces on this roster that are attractive to other teams and you could get you know, NHL caliber talent uh, and good talent in return for some of these guys. Right. Um, so I, I was sitting there and I'm just thinking, you know, let me ask Fenton about his about his mindset when it comes right. to trades. And I asked yeah. him, I said, you know, you guys in Nashville were aggressive in the mm-hmm. trade market the last mm-hmm. few years. Do you anticipate yeah. being the same way here with the Wild when you look at this roster? And his quote was... Uh, he said, yes. He's like, I like to think outside the box. I like our people who think outside the box. And when you look at the moves we made, we made hockey trades. We were able to make hockey trades. And a lot of times in this new cap world that we have, you're not able to do that. And the Wild, like I said, will have some cap space. Right. Not a lot, though. So I think the main way you're going to see them t- overhauling this roster is by trade. Yeah. And so Trading uh, good for good. Trading basically. good, trading which, good which they, for good. Which they've yes. done. Which they've done and they can do. Yeah, which they've done Um, in Nashville a lot. It's all about finding the right fit. It's about finding the right team with with the need um, and finding something that you're going to get back in return. Is Nashville's reputation a little bit oversold? I mean, they've they've made one cup final, but aside from that, their playoff history is all first or second round losses. That's what I mean, yeah. But I think when you saw the leap that they made last year, you saw that they won the President's Trophy this year. Right. Um, They made the necessary moves to to jump from, I would argue, where the Wild are now to an elite NHL team. And That that series that they had against Winnipeg this year, I know Vegas is in the final right now, Yeah. but to me, that Nashville-Winnipeg series was high-level hockey. Right. Um, So I put Nashville among the elite in the league right now. Sure. Um, so I think, I, I do think that based on the last few years, Fenton kind of knows now where, where a team like this may need to go. And I'm sure he's studied the wild extensively being mm-hmm. in the same division with them all these years. Now we've talked about this a little bit, but the NHL uses analytics certainly. Um, and we can get to Fenton's quote on that in a second. Mm-hmm. I still think, um, you know, when you compare it to the NBA or Major League Baseball, and there hasn't been like a 
that that one team where there that says this is what we do and this is why we succeed. It's because of there's no Houston Rockets. There's no Houston the Rockets. NBA, there's no the, the NHL. Yeah, yeah, and there's no you know Oakland A's money right. ball that's been you know, duplicated by the Red Sox and winning a bunch of mm-hmm. World Series with with a higher payroll, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it's probably because I still think it's it's harder to do in, in hockey. I don't think it's because people don't want to. Uh, I, I think it is harder to do. It's a little more. I guess it's like a f- it's a fl- random. It's a fluid yeah. sport, right? Yeah, and when yeah. there's so little scoring that happens, there's a, an element of randomness to hockey where mm-hmm. you can outplay someone, but you can have a good goalie, or a, you know, two shots can go in and off someone's leg, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. you lose. Um, aside from you know, other than basketball, where you can get to a hundred points, and you know, the, there's there's a there's more clear n- need or or role for you know squeezing out those those littler edges that that that, that can make a difference. That said, you did ask Fenton about what he thinks about analytics. So I would say you know, what hmm. that, that quote, I don't believe that any decisions are going to be made primarily by analytics, but it will support everything we do with our eyes. That's the most important thing. I will use every resource we have. Uh, do you get the sense that analytics played, this is kind of a two-part thing for you, mm-hmm. that it played much of a role in, in any of their key trades in Nashville? And kind of the the, the add-on to that would be, you know, are there players with the wild that you would look at and say that that's a guy they should be looking to to move because maybe the the counting numbers don't you know don't match up quite with with the with the deeper look? Yeah, I think the I think on some level the the Weber for Subban trade yeah. uh, was a. Uh, Partially analytically driven. It yeah. was also driven by contract status, by age, by the fact sure. that Montreal seemingly had fallen out of love with PK Subban, and right. Nashville's like, "Well, we're gonna we'll take <laughs> we him like off you. your hands." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I think there were a lot of factors involved, but Subban definitely a more offensive-minded uh, defenseman, um, and he had a great year this year. You yeah, know, he's a finalist for the Norris Trophy right. this year. Um, so I do think that maybe analytics played a role there. Does that show up in puck possession and things like that? Yeah, it does. Um, it shows up in puck possession, uh, you know, how much offense he's he was creating. Right. Um, you know, Subban in his two years with Nashville, uh, especially last season, yeah, he had a Corsi percentage of almost 55%. Weber never hit that uh, in any of his years. With Nashville. With Nashville. Yeah. Um, so you're looking at a guy who did generate a little more possession. Yeah. This year he was down to about 52%. Uh-huh. Um, but they also asked him to play a little more defensively. He had a okay. lot more defensive zone starts this year, okay. but he was still able to generate a lot of, a yeah. lot of possession, a lot of offense. So, okay. um, I do think that that played a role in that trade. So, you know, but overall, Fenton was good at just make, like you said, making you know hockey trades and yeah. identifying a need, identifying a team that was a good trade partner, and just saying, "All right, let's make this deal. Let's go for it." I don't know how he'll analyze the Wild roster. That's going to be the most interesting thing that mm-hmm. we're going to watch yeah. unfold. I don't know what he values yet. Yeah. I don't think so. It's maybe I don't say it's irresponsible to speculate, but it's, it's just kind of interesting to speculate, like what. Is there anything in the in the Nashville trade history, anything in in the way he operates, that makes you think 
this guy might be more likely to get dealt than than this guy or, or whatnot. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I I think I think the the takeaway is that nobody is safe. Yeah, except for the three. Except for the three with no move clauses. Right. Um, Koivu, Parise, and Suter. Right. I think after that, everybody is up for grabs. I don't think there's anybody safe. I think and Spurgeon would be a surprising. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one. there are definitely guys that are probably less likely than others. Right. Um, Granlin would be surprising. Granlin still would be me. surprising. But beyond Granlin and. Spurgeon, I don't know if anybody would necessarily shock so. me. I don't think so either. Um, you know, I don't I look at I look at Eric Stahl and I've I've made the case to trade him right. now yeah. um on this podcast before. Yeah. Um uh Jason Zucker, you know. Yeah. I, I, I can you reach an agreement with him? Right. Uh Matt Dumba, is Same he thing. on his way out? Right. You know. And those guys are restricted free agents, so they would command a lot back. Um in in return for how good they've been um, yeah so I, I don't know I, I just think nobody's safe we don't know what he's going to value on this roster but i think it's safe to say that if he identifies a trade that's that's going to improve this roster he's going to make it it doesn't matter who it is as much as him being a fresh set of eyes as they've as mm-hmm. that was another one of the key phrases yes, from uh, the process uh, so as much as that it seems like his biggest attribute is not being risk averse. Right. Um, I don't know if Chuck Fletcher was necessarily risk averse, but you know, if you combine maybe <clears> the <throat> the unwillingness to part with some of your own guys with, you know, maybe with being wary of trading good for good, you know, maybe this mm. is maybe this is a better fit. Maybe May- maybe it maybe it is. Um, you know, you look at the roster the last few years and and how much did the roster change? Not a, how much did the dynamics much. change under Chuck Fletcher? Right, and it's you know, yeah. and there was also the argument like, well, how much should they change? You know, because right. you know, two years ago they were, you know, what one hundred and six, hundred nine points. I can't remember how many right. they wound up with a couple of years ago, and then they came back with a pretty good regular season this year, especially mm-hmm. considering all the injuries. But there was definitely the sense that they had kind of just. They were at a level, and it wasn't just like this group was suddenly going to take a jump, all by itself. Agreed. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting. I, 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 Another thing that I think uh, Fenton, uh, an important point he made was, and this is, I think, a very important lesson for a team in the NHL that spends up to the cap like the Wild do, yeah. he does not want to make cap trades. He does not want to make trades that are solely for the purpose of getting your team under the cap or in a better cap situation. He does not like those kind of trades because yeah. they are essentially losing trades. Yeah. Um, so if he's going to make a trade, it's gonna he's going to try to make it be a hockey trade and not a let's save three million against the cap by making this deal and also giving up something just to get cap space. In retrospect, is that is that a Sideways criticism of some of the moves the Wild made last summer when when Fletcher was pressed up against the cap and traded away Marco Scandella to to save a couple million dollars and and did I the mean, de- you could you could read and, it that and way did the deal with Vegas yeah. that you know that you know Fenton referenced when he was asked about it and said mm-hmm. I don't know what I would have done differently I, yeah. I have my ideas of what I've done differently I'm not going to share them with you I mean he, yeah. you kind of get the sense that he I think he probably respected. The wild, but but also has looked at the moves they've made in the mm-hmm. past, and and probably would have done some things differently. I, I think you know, and that goes back to our, the fresh set of eyes. Right. It's you know, it's a sound roster, but there are ways in which you could have worked the margins to right. try and improve it a little bit. Um, so I, I think you know, his comment about cap trades. I don't know that it's necessarily a shot at 
Fletcher. No, maybe not. Maybe I think maybe there, I just maybe I just and there are to be. many other teams, right? Maybe I just there are many other be. teams that make cap <laughs> trades. Right. You know, the team I used to cover, the Blackhawks, being being one of them. They've made a lot of cap trades over the years. Um, so I, I think his philosophy is sound. Um, I'm I'm very curious to see, and we're going to know within the next month here because yeah. uh, he's going to have some decisions to make on these on these RFAs before July first, right? Um, and so we're going to know sooner than later what his vision for this team is going to be. He's going to hit the round running, too. I mean, the draft is three weeks away now. Mm-hmm. He was about a month out from where he got hired, and that's not an unreasonable amount of time. He's already been scouting players yeah. and you know, in, in touch with the draft. But, you know, he's got to – it's not just as simple as picking players when you're picking a draft. You also have to kind of accommodate – Systems you have to accommodate what mm-hmm. your organizational depth chart looks like. So I imagine this is going to be a very very busy this is, summer. This is going to be for him, especially this next four weeks. Yeah. It's going to be incredibly busy, and a lot of trades happen around the draft. So, like I said, the next three four weeks, stay tuned yeah. and, and buckle up because yeah. there could be a lot of movement. I think give Leopold credit. I think he read the situation and the fan base probably pretty well in this case that. Mm-hmm. I think the fans were ready for it. And I think the Wild were ready for it. That you know, I don't think Fletcher did a bad job. I probably give him like a right. a B minus, C plus for yeah. the the totality of his tenure. Some good, some bad. A I mean, there's there are franchises well worse off than the Minnesota Wild or right. the NHL right. for sure. But you know, sometimes you just it just you do need that you know someone to look at things differently. It's the, it's or, the Bill Walsh theory. Yeah. Um, you know, the and Theo Epstein of the yeah. Chicago Cubs has said this. You know, ten years in an organization. Yeah. You know. That's you enough. might that's that's enough sometimes right. you might need a fresh set of eyes fresh set of eyes yeah you know um so so you 9 years you're reaching that that mark where yeah. everybody's kind of just spinning their wheels right. and not really going anywhere so yeah. you know it, it it does kind of align with that bill walsh philosophy of 10 years and get out right you know? yeah well we'll see it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see how they how the process gets tweaked, mm-hmm. uh, as the, to use uh, to use their words. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's let's switch gears here a little bit to uh, a piece that you have coming up soon on Lance Lynn, the Twins pitcher who got off to a pretty much horrend- horrendous start. Yes. start. <laughs> um, I don't know how much of it we can chalk up to, you know, his late arrival. He didn't get signed until March, right? Yeah. I mean, it was very... It was late. Very late. Mm-hmm. He was new. He wasn't even in Twins camp until, you know, a week or two into the start of mm-hmm. camp just because of the way his free agency played out. And I'm, I'm sure he was a little bit... He, he's talked about this, being a little bit unhappy with the way the, the, the process played out. He's yeah. kind of like a hired gun now. I, yeah. I would... A lot would, of frustration there. I w- yeah, I yeah. would venture a guess to say that he's a, a one and done with the Twins. It just doesn't seem like there's a long-term marriage there but the twins are at least hoping to get four more good months or four good months out of him yes now uh, as opposed to the the one and a half to two that that weren't that great but you you're writing about kind of what's gone wrong and also hey it's not quite as bad as it looks tell me yes. about tell me about uh, that because that would surprise some people yeah, I think. yeah <laughs> so i was you know looking at some of his numbers and I noticed that there was one stat in particular that that stood out when I was looking at his numbers, and it's called expected fielder independent pitching. XFIP. 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 As the as the brainy. XFIP call is it. the best FIP. <laughs> as opposed to ZFIP or right. BFIP. Chris, yes. Um, so XFIP is is like ERA, and except it tries to eliminate 
um, defense from the equation. So it takes every metric that a pitcher controls when he's on the mound, which right. is walks, strikeouts, home runs allowed, and plugs it into a fancy formula and spits yeah. out a number. His XFIP this season is actually lower than it was last year. And by all accounts, he had a good year last year. Right. So how in the world does Lance Lynn go from having a good year in 2017 to having a horrible, by all accounts, a horrible year in 2018 Except for so his last far. couple starts. Except for his last two starts. Right. But that's um, the majority of it, the vast majority of it's we're talking about, Yes. Uh, how, so how does that number get better this year? And it's a couple things. Um, yeah. He's striking out more people, yeah. which is actually probably the most encouraging sign. If you're looking for something to be an optimist about mm-hmm. Lance Lynn about, mm-hmm. the fact that he's striking people at almost right. a career-high rate right. is very encouraging. Right. Um, so there's that. His, his curveball has improved. That's yeah. why... Uh, that's why he's striking more people out. His whiff rate is on curveballs is almost double what it's been traditionally throughout his career. Right, twenty nine point two percent, which is very so high. It's very high uh, compared to where he's been in his career. Right. Um, so those are the good, the good parts. Okay. Now Tell the bad parts. Sorry, but, sorry guys. There's right? bad news. <laughs> the bad news is that his fast, his four seam fastball, the pitch that he throws the most, right. has lost some movement. It's not moving. It's yeah. not moving as much as it used to. And because of that, guys are barreling the ball a little more against him and getting <laughs> and getting a lot of hard contact yes. when they do hit the ball. Right. Oh, and he's walking a lot of guys. Yeah, that's not good either. That's not good either. Yeah. Um, so you combine the walks with the with the lack of movement on the four seamer and mm-hmm. the more that's hard why contact. You, yeah, that's why you've seen the struggles you've seen. Do you think the okay? So he's allowing a three sixty five average when the ball is put in play, which yes. is very high. That's number. very and high. It was even higher before his last couple starts. I think when we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, it was like almost four hundred. It was. It was really um, bad. Now, and a season ago, it was two forty four, which is extraordinarily low. Which is extremely low. low. Right. Right. Which so is, he was getting away with some stuff. It last told year. you. That tells you that last year he might have been a little lucky. Yeah, which is interesting because the Twins obviously use a lot of this data and must have been aware of that and probably thought that maybe last year was the outlier season because mm-hmm. previous years his XFIP had been more in line with his ERA. Yes. So yes. so they look at that. But do you think the – it's always interesting because there's always multiple layers to, to these numbers. The 365, is that – would you attribute that more to bad luck or more to the hard contact rate because of the, the lack of movement on the fastball? I think I think the answer probably lies a little bit in both. I think, I'm sure it's you know, both, yeah. When, when, I mean, the batting average of balls of play, when you allow more hard contact, um, Naturally gonna go is up. going to go up. Yeah. Um, so uh, hitters are making uh, hard contact on f- almost 40% of, of yeah. batted balls against them. Right. And that number... Did not hit. I think it hit thirty only once. So they're making once previously in his career. So they're making significantly more hard contact against Lynn. He hit the ball harder. It's going to go and play more. Right. The average exit velocity is up. um, Yeah. You know, from where it was, I think by about four miles an hour, uh, teams are are hitting the ball harder against him uh, this season than last year. So. But I also think, you know, there's an element of the defense behind yeah. him. And, you know, especially with, you know, guys like Byron Buxton out, yeah. the defense has right. suffered a little bit. Um, 
you know, it, you say the twins might might have been aware of, of the difference between his his ERA and his XFIP last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's partially why he had to sign a one year, yeah. twelve million dollar deal. Right. You know. Everybody has. If we have access to this data, right? The teams, yes, the teams <laughs> and, know and more. Yeah, the teams know. They're and watching so, spin rate. They're watching all so these things. Perhaps that's why Lance Lynn, even though he had a three point four three ERA right. last year, right? You know, they look and they saw that his xFIP was four seven four seven five, and they're like, wait, a there's a disparity. Big here. disparity. That's yeah. a unusually large disparity. Usually. Yeah. Those numbers Almost will be within a half. Usually, those numbers will be within half a run yeah. of each other, and you can glean some information from the difference. But that's a big, big difference. That's a big. That's very a big, big difference. difference. It's, it's very noticeable. Um, by the way, it's his uh, xFIP this season is four point four two, right, which is lower than last. Down year, from four point seven five. Amazing, and it was even yeah. right around that number even before his his better starts. Yes, uh, lately. So it was it was higher. <laughs> I, before we move on to a little NBA, I, I do have to say too, it was a good thing you were able mm-hmm. to speak with uh, Garvin Alston, the pitching coach, for this story. Yes, uh, because Lance Lynn did not. Lance seem, Lynn did not really want to talk. Didn't really want to talk about. Didn't want to talk about his struggles. Eh, not really. Um, he did not. And you'll see if you read the piece online. <laughs> the the lead of the article is. Is Lance Lynn's then, insights into his struggles, was, and I, it was a very quick conversation. If I, if I keep reading, that was the end of the Lance Lynn quotes. Is it, <laughs> is it not? That was there, it. There, there, I thought about maybe throwing another, another uh, throw the ball in the zone towards <laughs> the end of it, but I didn't. Uh, and to to didn't his get it. to his point it, and to his credit, that is a big part of. You, you that know, is a big part of he it. Needs yeah, to throw it's strikes. very obvious. A lot of yes. his early struggles. It was a very were, obvious observation, right? Yes. And you know, in command, <laughs> in and out of the strike zone are almost equally important <laughs> sometimes because. You know, sometimes it's not just that you're missing wide; it's mm-hmm. you're missing your target, and you're right down the middle, and then you're going to get hard again. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, it's you know. But it's, you know, he's not the first. He's not the first athlete to uh, not want to talk about why he's not playing well. <laughs> so you know, I can't yeah. really hold it against him. Uh, let's let's finish up here talking about the NBA. You wrote recently, um, setting up the NBA Finals, which begin tonight as of recording here. Thursday. Um, it's an interesting matchup here in uh, in uh, the the finals between the, the Warriors and the Cavaliers. Not a new matchup, but mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely a, a a a contrast in styles, and it's kind of a a uh, a redux of the contrasting styles that we saw in the Western Conference Finals, uh, where the Warriors are, you know, pass, 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 pass to get the open shot, mm-hmm. and the Rockets are. Um, let's set a high ball screen and let James Harden take four steps and get a wide open shot. Yeah, that's iso ball. The NBA iso ball versus mostly movement and, right. and passing, which right. is how the Warriors like to play. Yeah. Um. So I think it, I think it's fascinating that you know the NBA as a whole is moving in this direction right. of more threes the better, and almost everybody in the league. Uh, is is has gotten that memo right? Um, <laughs> there are you still could, different you could, ways you, you can, go about that. You can deliver a copy of that memo uh, over to Target Center <laughs> if you uh, if you just are passing by there on your way to Target Field tonight. Yes, you yes, could drop one off drop over that, there. That memo, that uh, yeah, league wide memo. Yep. Hey, shoot more threes. Also, shoot more threes. They know they do. They have. I know, to, and they, they and their offense was not the problem right, this year. Right, I'm just right. giving them a hard time. Um, but anyway, so, so, but I think what's fascinating is that teams are shooting more threes, but they're accomplishing it in different ways. Right. 
Um, the Rockets and Warriors are, you know, kind of the the opposites when it comes to that. Both yeah. both shoot a lot of threes. Right. Both heavily believe in that philosophy. But right. The Warriors try to get theirs via open uh, or passing, uh, and the Rockets try to get it off of uh, James Harden and you know penetration and kick. Yeah. Um, so in Cleveland, to a certain extent, is more like the Rockets. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. more ISO, drive, and kick, or just let LeBron do whatever he wants. Right. Um, you know, as opposed to what the Warriors try to do. And Boston uh, was more like the Warriors. And Boston was more like the Warriors. Boston was ball movement, and let's let's get the open right. guy. Yes. And, and interestingly enough, I mean, the... You know, both of those series went seven games, mm-hmm. um, and both of them basically came down to the home teams not being able to make a three-pointer uh-huh. in in game seven. Exactly. Um, and I don't know if it's uh, – I don't think we can say one, especially because one of each made it to the finals. I don't think you can say one style triumphed over the other. You definitely can say that the mm-hmm. Rockets and Golden State were the two best teams this year in the NBA. Definitely, I, I think that's, yeah. that's a, not a – that's not a uh, – it's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's 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 kind of been generally accepted, but I I I would resist the narrative that Golden State's uh, way of playing prevailed because I I think if Chris Paul if Chris doesn't, Paul doesn't get doesn't hurt, get hurt I, I I like the Rockets I, chances. Yeah, it's, the, the way they were playing defense and the way they were yeah. kind of almost forcing Golden State into some bad habits and mm-hmm. almost making them play a little bit of. ISO ball with all mm-hmm. the switching they were doing and all the other things they were doing and again I don't know how much Chris Paul hurts defensively but he's a pretty good he's pretty good he's, a pretty, he's re- usually a pretty good well reputed and, defender and smart defender if he's available especially for game seven you know game six too they they got up mm-hmm. by double digits in both of those games mm-hmm. and you know Golden State can come at you in ways but I would resist the narrative of saying Golden State's way no what, I wouldn't say that either what, it might the, it might be it might be prettier. It might be oh, more, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt more prettier. aesthetically pleasing. I, I don't like watching Houston play. I, right. I think if this was Houston <laughs> against Cleveland in the finals and we had to watch basically two teams just stand around and do this, this would have been <laughs> kind of awful, which is kind of what we saw in the Houston Timberwolves series yeah, to a certain degree. Yeah. I mean, the Wolves don't share the ball quite you know, quite like Golden State does. They play a lot of ISO, they and it do. was not a mm-hmm. – it's just not a really – Pretty brand of basketball, and that's and that's probably a conversation for another time. Mm-hmm. But um, it's you know it, a lot of these things. It is worth asking. Um, a lot of the data we have that shows what's efficient mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the most aesthetically pleasing. Right, in exactly. It's like the efficiency of or the the best offense in baseball now being you know walks and, and walks home, and runs, home runs. runs, and you know these three true outcome mm-hmm. guys. That's not necessarily fun to watch unless they get a hold of one. Right. And that's not happening very often. So it's just, it's an interesting kind of dynamic that, that has emerged where, I mean, I, I just, thankfully Golden State is, is fun to watch, mm-hmm. but it really only works because they have so many good players. They do, right. I and mean, Houston I mean, doesn't have as many, as many good players. Right, exactly. And, you know, when you can throw Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant yeah. out there on the floor. Yeah. Um, your offense is going to look good, probably no matter what style you play. Right. Um, yeah. Um, by the way, the the way the way I got this data was NBA.com actually tracks how many passes. Yeah, per which game is really cool. Players throw and and Draymond Green um, threw 
in the, has thrown in the playoffs so far, 82.4 passes per that's game. That's a lot. That's amazing. That's a lot of passes. It shows, yeah. you how much, <laughs> shows you how much they play through him, even though he's not their most, by far not their most dynamic offensive yeah. player, but they that he's they value his decision-making and his ability to get the ball moving in the right yeah. direction, things like that. Absolutely. And, and you compare the, the 82.4 to the leader on the Rockets, which was Chris Paul, at yeah. 45.2 per game. Yeah. 40. Almost forty fewer passes per game, by, yeah. the, by from Draymond Green to Chris Paul. That's that's it's remarkable. It's interesting. I wonder how many teams. This, I mean, with with Green having thirty three more passes per game than their point guard mm-hmm. Steph Curry. I wonder how many teams have a situation where their point guard is not the one who makes the most passes per uh, yeah. per game. I'd, I'd be interested to go that'd back be, and look at that. That just surprises me that Green makes that many passes. Not that the Warriors make so many passes, three hundred and one per game in the playoffs, <laughs> which wasn't even the which wasn't even the highest. Uh, I don't apparently. believe it was. You said second no. most. I don't. I don't see. I can't remember who. Maybe Toronto would have been the most, or uh, some okay. some other team. I think it might have been Toronto. I'm not be, sure. I'd have to go back. They, and they look. share the ball pretty well. Boston mm-hmm. wasn't far behind, but. Uh, but interesting kind of, con- again, contrasting styles um, in, in... All towards the same goal. Yeah. All towards the same goal yeah. of, you know, not only of, of efficient offense, of, mm-hmm. of making those three-pointers. And, you know, the Warriors passed their way to 16 out of 39. The, the Rockets were getting open shots in that game, too, That's and the they thing. just missed they were, them. They were, they were open. They you, you know, somebody, you know, put together a... a compilation of all the misses yeah. that they had or the 27 misses yeah. in a row that they had yeah. and, and most of those were open looks was that the one that was set to the curb the enthusiasm yeah, that was pretty good theme, yeah. yeah i like that but yeah they, <laughs> they i mean it's you know and then maybe let's live by the three die by the three i don't know if it's any harder to hit threes in a game seven when you're a little tighter or if maybe. it's just or if they just had a bad night shooting but uh yeah. you know, whatever it was it was good enough to win 65 games and, and make it within one game of the finals mm-hmm. and i think we could agree that had they made it, uh, they would still be the heavy, heavy favorite over, yes, over the Cavaliers. Yeah. Um, nobody gives them much of a chance, which is funny since they have the greatest player uh, currently playing. Yes. And mm-hmm. a guy, uh, I'll end with some hot hot fire here, a guy mm-hmm. who I think has surpassed Michael Jordan now. <laughs> um, I'm uh, not going to get into that debate no, uh, no. today. <laughs> <laughs> we could be here for a while on that yeah, one, but that's yeah. – uh, it's a, it's maybe an unfair comparison to have to make, but but yeah. LeBron is so good, and the fact that he mm-hmm. got this Cleveland team into the finals is is, is just it remarkable, is remarkable. Them, especially mm-hmm. when they had Kevin Love banged up. Although we see Love is back for Game One tonight, or is at least yes, been cleared to play. He's been cleared to play so, for Game One, but we'll see how effective he is. Yeah. Um, all right, good stuff. We'll uh, I think we'll end it there. We'll have I want to get into a big conversation next time hopefully on uh, shifts because there's been some really interesting data coming out mm-hmm. on uh, defensive shifts in Major League Baseball. But that's uh, probably a discussion for a little down the road. And, uh, yeah, we'll leave it right there. Thanks for listening to the North Score podcast on StarTribune.com.